0: title of today's message is Reckless Love. We're going to be focusing on John 21, particularly the last part of it there where Jesus was speaking with Peter. Now I know and this is probably going to be more of a generational question here, but has anyone here ever used the application called Spotify on their phones or on their computers? If not, let me explain to you what it is. Spotify is a program that you can download and stream music through. And I love it because I can have um, music on my phone whenever I want. Uh, when I, I often listen to it on the way back from transfers when I'm taking people to La Crosse or Madison or, or the cities or wherever I'm taking them to. And Most of the transfers I do are at least an hour in one direction, so on the way back, I'm riding in the back of the ambulance all by myself. I don't have a lot to do, so I'll listen to music or maybe read a book or study or take a nap, but I always have that music uh, with me. Recently, Spotify sent me an email and listed the top songs that I had listened to over this past year. And the number one song that I had listened to this year was a song called Reckless Love by Corey Asbury. And the song talks about the incredible love of God and how he shows it to us and how he pursues us in a very unrelenting fashion. And one of the, some of my favorite lyrics from that song go like this. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. He chases me down, fights till I am found, and leaves the 99. And I just, I love that thought of God just always pursuing us. And I admit when I first heard the song, I had a bit of concern about the word reckless. I'm I'm a person that really listens to lyrics to see how biblically accurate they are. Just, I guess, kind of my theological nerd quality there. And so I had a little bit of concern about that word reckless. And the word reckless to me uh, talks about a person who has no care or concern about how their actions, words, or anything else affects others. And so I looked up the word reckless, and according to the dictionary, it means, it's an adjective describing a, of a person or their actions, and it means without thinking or caring about the personal consequences of an action. And I thought about that in relation to God, and I said, wow, that is exactly what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. He was not concerned about his own well-being, but he was concerned about us. And therefore, to the world, it may seem like he did something extremely reckless, but to us, it is the epitome of love. And so I really like this song and how it describes God. Let's talk about God and His reckless love for a moment because what He did for us is similar to what we may have experienced as a parent. Now, I don't know how your children were in school, but you know, I got detention once in a while. Believe it or not, I was well acquainted with the detention room at the school. Now, if your father was anything like my father, If the dean calls you and says he's going to have detention for a week, my dad would say give him three because he really needs to learn. But our father is not like our earthly fathers. God, our father, would walk into that detention room, sit down in our chair, and let us go free with no punishment. He would take the punishment for our bad behavior, which the Bible calls sin. That is the essence of the gospel right there, and that is reckless love. It's a love that doesn't take into consideration the personal consequences of us showing love to people. And in John 21, Peter was about to run into that kind of love. He was about to experience this in his own life, even after everything he had done to Jesus. We remember Peter's actions during Jesus' trial and his execution on the cross. Let's just review that just for a moment. During the Last Supper, Peter is bragging about how much he loves Jesus. You remember he's telling the disciples, he knows that he is going to be the head of the church, he knows that he is going to be the one that everybody looks up to, and yet he, and he is bragging that and bringing that out and saying, Lord, I would never deny you. And Jesus responds by giving Peter a prophecy and said, before the rooster crows three times tonight, you'll deny me three times. Peter loudly denied that he would do such a thing. But now let's fast forward six hours. Luke 22, 54 describes this uh, very, very um, well. The Bible says in Luke 22, 54, Then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, and when some of them had kingdom Dodo- a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down there, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it and said, Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. An hour later, another asserted, Certainly this man was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Now just close your eyes for a moment before I read this next verse and just picture it in your head. Verse 61 says, The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about betrayal and how it is one of the worst things you could do to another person. Because betrayal treats another person's love and trust in you like it's nothing. And that's where Peter is at, dealing with him betraying the Lord. I mean, consider everything Peter did. Peter had not only denied Jesus, but he denied him three different times. Another gospel writer said that he even used some of the foulest profanity of his time to show people he had nothing to do with Jesus. I had nothing to do with Jesus because I wouldn't be talking like this. I don't bleepity bleep know that bleepity bleep is basically what he said. So obviously I'm not one of them. Because I would not act that way if I was one of them. Not only did Peter deny Jesus, but Peter denied Jesus as Peter was watching Jesus take the whipping. He was watching him take the beating and talk, and taking the humiliation for his sins and the sins of the world. And lastly, the scriptures tell us that Jesus looked right at Peter as he was profanely denying him. Right to his face. This is what was weighing down on Peter. It destroyed him. Even after the resurrection when Peter would meet with his disciples in the upper room, I think Peter stood in the back, not even really making a lot of eye contact, not trying to get close to Jesus. And you see it through his later actions, him returning to Galilee, going back to his fishing boats, believing that he had blown it forever. That's the background of what we're going to be talking about in John chapter 21, which is the last part of our Gospel of John series. And this morning we're going to be talking about the reckless love of God by looking at Jesus restoring Peter, not only to his grace, not only to his friendship, not just giving him forgiveness, but even restoring him to his place of leadership with the disciples and over the early church after he had blown it as badly as anybody could let's ask God's blessing on our time this morning father god we just end the gospel of john series with grateful hearts because we got to see you for who you really are father i just ask that during this time especially during this christmas season that we will come into deeper relationship deeper appreciation and a deeper understanding of everything you are in our lives so that in no way do we deny you either through our lives, our words, or our actions, Father. And help us to live in your forgiveness, your power, your favor, and your grace. I ask this in your name. Amen. As I was thinking about this, And going through it and and outlining the chapter and thinking about what God wanted me to say this morning, I asked myself a question. Does anybody else find it a little bit odd what Jesus chose to do and who he decided to appear to after his death? Especially the order in which it happened. I mean, who did he first appear to? Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, I imagine she was a a righteous woman. She was probably a woman of prayer, a woman of service. But the Bible records absolutely zero historical impact that she had on the early church. There are no records of her being a great evangelist. No records of her doing great acts of service for the church or doing anything after this event. She completely disappears from history outside of a couple of, of mentions by the Apostle Paul later in his epistles. And I have no doubt that she actually did have some great things to do with the early church. We just don't really know about them. And it's, maybe it's my pragmatism kick, kicking in. But I just kind of look at that and I go, why did he go to Mary first? So I took this to as a matter of prayer, and this is what God had showed me. Has anyone here known a person who has gotten a cancer diagnosis and survived it? I know that there are a couple people that that have had it here. Did that person first go into their first chemotherapy appointment or their first radiation appointment, walk out saying it worked, I'm cancer-free? That would be kind kind of foolish, wouldn't it? That's not the way most medical treatment works. It's the same thing when your doctor prescribes you an antibiotic and they insist that you take all the antibiotic even when you start feeling better because you need to kill all the infection and not give it a chance to adapt and, and make you resistant to that infection and that antibiotic again. And in Peter's case, he had to work through a huge pride issue. It's his pride that led him to proclaim that no matter what, he would stay faithful to Jesus. This pride also caused him to compare himself with the other disciples in an effort to always maintain a position of authority and respect over them. In essence, Peter had a spiritual cancer. And Jesus used time as his chemotherapy to kill it. This is why Jesus didn't restore him right away while they were still in Jerusalem. This is why Jesus didn't appear to him first. This is why Jesus didn't appear to James or John or any of the other apostles. He appeared to Mary. He didn't restore Peter while they were still in Jerusalem. He didn't restore Peter while they were walking back to Galilee. He didn't restore Peter after he picked up his net and started fishing again. He let Peter sit in his time out until he had nothing less spiritually except to go to Jesus. Remember his reaction upon realizing it was Jesus on the shoreline? John 21, 7 says, As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. He immediately ran to Jesus when he had the opportunity. It had been a few weeks since Jesus had last appeared to the disciples. Days and days of Peter thinking, It's all over for him. Jesus, or I'm sorry, Peter is looking at his future and seeing no hope of ever being restored to Jesus' favor. Peter's at the bottom of the darkest hole he has ever known and looking and trying to to, to discern even a glimpse of sunlight. And then John says, it is the Lord. And I loved how that actor in that movie portrayed it. He He doesn't hesitate. He just grabs his cloak and swims to shore. He's only 100 yards away from shore. He didn't wait for them to to row a few dozen times and and be back at the shore or, or lift the sail and be back at the shore, he jumps right in there. He was getting to Jesus no matter what. Jesus shows us the reckless love of God and giving Peter exactly what he needed. He needed that time away. He needed to let all of that get all the way down deep into his spirit so that when Jesus brings the healing, it is a complete healing to his soul. Sometimes the treatment to get better is painful, isn't it? When you get a surgery or you have to take medication, sometimes it's painful. And anyone who has ever had surgery will tell you that the recovery time is not always pleasant. I remember when I had my knee surgery and I had Almost seven, eight weeks off of work. And I remember, like, the first few days of that, my knee just pounding all the time. And I was thinking, why did I get this surgery? It wasn't that bad before this. But we need that kind of recovery time. And Peter's recovery time is over. And Jesus is going to restore him, not only in relationship, but in position. And that leads us to the second way that Jesus showed reckless love to Peter is that Pete, Jesus restores Peter in a way that Peter will understand. Why is Peter in a position he's in right now? Because he let his pride talk, and talking allow him to make a rash promise. And the method that Jesus used to restore Peter is so intimate, it's so loving, it's so personal and specific to Peter's sin. That it shows us something about the reckless love of God this morning. And the first thing it shows us is that it was in person. Remember how Peter denied Jesus? Right to his face. In person. So, how does Jesus restore Peter? In person. Personally. Exactly what Peter needed. Peter is, is at this point of his life, he's being eternally and spiritually tortured for his actions. And Jesus could have just sent the Holy Spirit with a specific word. Jesus could have, or God could have sent a prophet to let Peter know he was forgiven. He could have thundered it for heaven for everybody to hear. But Jesus instead confronts the sin the same way it was done to him. Face to face. And that's reckless love, isn't it? Wouldn't it just been easier for God to just send an angel to make the pronouncement? But no, he came in person to forgive Peter. And the second way that Jesus shows reckless love in restoring Peter is that, is that making Peter say it three times, the same way that he denied him. Now this point in the message is going to be a little bit more technical because our English language really has only one word for love. And yet the Greek word has several words for love. And there, it makes a big difference in how we read that today. So let me break this down to you. When you read this conversation in English, it's a little confusing why Jesus seems to be almost pedantic and almost childish sometimes in making Peter say it three times. And we're trying to figure out, why would you make him say this three times? It just sounds like you're kind of being mean in a a way, that you're trying to make him relive it or something. But it's not the case when you read it in its original language. So I'm going to go through this conversation in John 21 and substitute the English word love for the Greek definition instead so you can understand this a little bit better. John 21.15 says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love, and that word love there is agape, means selfish or might even say reckless love, the same kind of love that God has for us. Do you agape me more than these? Simon Peter responds, he says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love, and the word there, love, is phileo. That's the kind of love that you have for a friend. Like, I phileo Conrad, I phileo Pastor Roger, I phileo James. I have the same kind of love relationship as I do for a friend with them. That's the way that Peter is responding to Jesus. He said, You know that I phileo you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me the same way that God loves you? Peter answers, yes, Lord. I know you know that I phileo you. I love you as a friend. And this is where, Peter, and this is where Jesus kind of slaps him in the face with it. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. And this is where he, he, he brings that up and he shows him why he fell. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Is that it? Is that all you see me is as a friend? This is why you fell, Peter, because you don't see me the way that you should see me. You only see me as your friend, but I am your God. Jesus exposes Peter's problem. Peter only had a superficial friendship love for Jesus, but what he needed was a reckless agape love. That's why Jesus, said, Jesus goes through this three different times. He exposes Peter's problem. Peter didn't look at Jesus and see God. He looked at Jesus and saw a friend. And Jesus is kind of taking his fingers in essence and putting them under Peter's chin and trying to lift up his gaze a little bit to see, you're not supposed to see me here You're supposed to see me this way. That's one of the modern problems with the modern, or the modern problems is the modern way that we look at Christianity. And the main point of that is this you cannot call Jesus your friend if he is not first your God. Right? All these people want to call Jesus their friend, but he has never become their God. And that is the quintessential problem with why Jesus was able to deny Christ because he did not see Jesus as God. Peter Peter did not see Jesus as God, yes. And that's how Jesus shows Peter the root of his denial as it came from comparison and pride. Has anybody ever either cut down a tree with an axe or watched somebody else do it? Fell? fall tree with an axe. There's a lot of skill and timing involved in doing it right and doing it safely so the tree doesn't come down on top of you. You have to plan out your strokes. You have to cut it in very specific spots, and you have to know when your final stroke is about to happen. And it's at that point the person holding the axe steps back and just lets gravity do his job. My grandfather was a forestry person. He loved cutting down trees with an axe. And, and I remember watching him do it once, and he's just chopping, chopping, chopping. And then he stops, walks away, and he's just sitting there leaning on his axe. His and I'm like, um, are you done? Are you just going to leave the tree like that? He goes, just give it a minute. All of a sudden, boom, the tree falls down. Well, this is where Jesus is at with Peter right now. Jesus has been chopping at Peter's problem. And now with one final master stroke. He's going to stand back and let his words topple Peter's pride to the ground. Jesus can see that Peter is still spiritually kind of kicking against Jesus' words here. He's not quite internalizing them. He's not quite letting them get down to where they need to get down. And it becomes obvious when Peter looks at at John the Apostle and says this, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? You can just kind of see where Jesus like, didn't you hear a thing I just taught you? And Jesus answered him and said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Not follow your own ego. Not follow your own plans. Not follow your own need to have other people admire you, Peter. You must follow me. Jesus publicly exposes Peter's biggest problem, and that is pride. And pride always causes comparison with others. As we said earlier, it was this pride and comparison that led Peter to make a rash promise that caused him to deny Jesus in the first place. And Peter is trying it again, and Jesus chops his legs out right from under him. It's this last exhortation by Jesus that is the most emphatic way that you can write a sentence in the Greek. This is the most emphatic way. You must follow me. No equivocation, period, end of paragraph, end of chapter, no wiggle room for anything else. You must follow me, Peter. And that's a good word for all of us this morning. We don't worry about the person on your left or your right. We just focus on Jesus and you, and let him worry about the other people. We can pray for them, we can love on them, but ultimately, we are responsible for our own relationship with Jesus. Jesus is saying, Peter, if you don't follow me, you're going to end up right back here. And the next time, there might not be time for restoration. Jesus is also saying that because of Peter's coming position in the early church, he cannot have them struggling with a pride issue. Because there was too much at stake. You need to follow me, Peter. So I would ask you that today. Is that you? Do you feel like the axe of God has been chopping away at your roots and you're about to fall over? If that's you this morning, that is a good thing. Because God knows you need to fall at the feet of Jesus and experience his reckless love for you. This is the Christmas season. It's a season in which we celebrate God stepping down from heaven and experiencing life as a human to become a babe in a manger. It's a glorious time of year and one that should never, ever grow old in our hearts. Saying that, Jesus is not just a baby in a manger. He is God. He is a God that has shown us reckless love And he wants us to realize that once and for all and realize that it is set in heaven that he loves you with abandon. He wants you to experience the assurance of his love. He wants you to experience his forgiveness. He wants you to experience his grace in your life. The Apostle John tells us that he wrote his gospel so that we might believe. This last year, we've gone through the entire gospel. Over 30 sermons to help you understand that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, our Lord, and our God. So I would ask you this morning as the musicians come back up. Do you believe?